Thank you, Kubis, and thank you very much for the invitation and for showing up tonight. I was wondering if I would get more than the organizing committee, so I feel humbled. <laughs> I do own a property in Straisby, so I am, besides my degree at Stellenbosch University, I am a bit of a KP, so uh, I, I feel at home. Um, when I was invited by Kubis to think about a, a talk, I said to him, I don't want it to be a marketing exercise. But of course, <coughs> there will be a bit of marketing. We have to do that, but I, I call that more information sharing than anything else. Um, and the less defined your talk is, the longer the title becomes. So I've actually lengthened the title because I added, and the LTPF, because how many of you know the acronym LTPF? We just love acronyms, don't we? So you can go home tonight and say, I learned another acronym tonight. Corbis, uh, what's the methodology in terms of questions? Do I finish my talk and people ask questions, or can they uh, ask a Bernie question? And if I will get to it later, I will indicate, or how do you want to deal with it? So, I'm open for attack. If it will be addressed later in the, in the presentation, I will indicate. So if I indicate so and I do not get to it, ask it again at the end, please, because I might need some time to think about your question. <laughs> so uh, are we agreed that we, we want to do that? So like a... A good systems engineer, the structure. An introduction and a background, definitions and roles of systems engineering. Uh, you don't know what systems engineering is, so I've got to teach you tonight what it is, of course. Uh, our operations and activities, linking and roles of partner higher education institutions, uh, systems engineering training in South Africa, discussions, but actually, you know what, let's forget about that. Let's, let's talk through the slides, let's have a discussion and let's share some ideas and concepts. I, I would prefer that much more than a, a one-sided lecture, okay? So uh, I don't see any objections, so, okay. What I hate is when people say yes, you know? <laughs> so, a uh, little bit of marketing. Where do we come from? In 2009, actually, Transnet approached WITS and they offered to sponsor a chair, and that was the brief. So within the Faculty of Engineering and the built environment, uh, who is whom they approached, we had some internal discussions and we've got seven other centers in the, in the faculty of different shapes and sizes, NRF centers of excellence and all kinds of things. So with the dean and a few heads of school, we, we caucused and we decided, you know, that we were offered the pinky, let's try the arm. And we came back with a proposal to establish a center and not a chair because a chair is a lonely professor doing research deeper and deeper into less and less until he knows everything about nothing. And that's not where we wanted to go. We wanted to have a link with industry. And that's what the centers in, in our organization is there for, is to cross the bridge between academia and industry. Not that we do it very well all the time, but we, we are improving as we continue. And the vision is to play a positive role in helping Transnet achieve its long-term planning framework, the LTPF, and its market demand strategy, MDS, and or successor strategies. I don't show it tonight, but before, when uh, uh, Maria was CEO of uh, Transnet, there was the quantum leap strategy and the turnaround strategy and all of that. And today, with Mr. Brian Molefe in charge of Transnet, it is the long-term planning framework and the market demand strategy. And the market demand strategy is actually similar to the previous one, which is an expansion strategy, with one single big difference. And that is the assumption was not, what can we afford? as Transnet to improve our freight logistics network. The approach was, what does the market need? In other words, the market demand. And the whole strategy and philosophy of Transnet today is based around 
the measured and forecasted market demand, which puts a total new spin on it. And they better need to be successful, and we must all help them be successful, otherwise our economy is not going to grow the way we need it to grow. And that's the long and the short of it. If I get nothing more out tonight, the ESCOMs and the transits of this world must be successful. Whether we like them or hate them, it's totally irrelevant. We must help them succeed. By the way, I like them. Um, so <laughs> the Transnet Long-Term Planning Framework, um, I worked on the 2012 edition because I know it's in the public domain, so there's no secrets. You can have all of this information. It has not changed significantly, so some of the forecast tonnage and number of locomotives have changed somewhat, but uh, the whole pattern is still there. So what is the LTPF? LTPF is a macroeconomic freight demand forecast, exactly what I just now said. And if you read here, I know you guys at the back with your glasses cannot. I've got to stand closer here. Um, it's a process that started a few years ago with the port and rail corridor development plans and then evolved annually through the port and rail development plans. Then the national infrastructure plan came out and then you had the Transnet national infrastructure plan and now it's the long-term planning framework. And I will share some of the, the snippets from it. It's a 153 megabyte document, so we cannot email it readily, but we can provide you with a site where you can find it. And it is, it is really an amazing document. It's one of the best state company generated documents I've ever seen, including arms core and military planning and all the rest of it. It's really worthwhile spending a bit of time on it. What's in there? Of course, an introduction, a freight demand forecast, a rail development plan, a port development plan, pipeline development plan, property planning, sustainability planning, and capital investment summary, which is the market demand strategy. The MDS is a seven-year capital expenditure affecting the LTPF. So, and there you've got the Transnet Operating Divisions. Property planning, that, that sounds a little crazy. How many other property owners in the world, for that matter, owns eight ports, owns a million kilometers of track, owns how many subways and bridges and things? Transnet Property owns that. So if you go to Richards Bay or Durban Port, Transnet Property owns it. Transnet Port Terminals operate the whole operation there of loading of unloading ships. Transnet National Ports Authority does all the legal things, the uh, import-export controls. And then Transnet Freight Rail, their trains bring in the freight. Lovely systems challenge, isn't it? So a couple of years ago, Transnet Engineering was very proud. They had the highest number of ready locomotives to depart on a Monday morning, 4 o'clock. And I just asked him the question, did you have the freight, the cargo, the coal, the ore, available to fill all those trains? And I'm still waiting for the answer. Because it doesn't help you just to get your trains ready and have them ready to depart. Your mines need to have their produce there, and the ports need to be there, the ship needs to be alongside, so you can dump the stuff in the ship, and it can go out of the country. LTPF evolution. And I won't go into this too much. You can see a lot of this. What I would like to mention here is the future vision is a fully integrated long-term port, rail, pipeline, property, sustainable human resources, energy, and systems plans, fully supportive of the Transnet key business objectives. Now, if that is not systems thinking, then I don't know what it is. And to me, that is the beauty of this whole initiative in our own country that we all can latch onto and help make work. And they need a lot of help, 
And the best part of it is they admit it. The, the openness of the people in Transnet, admitting their challenges, listening to advice, I have never seen before in, in, a, in a business organization. So it is totally refreshing. I hope this is recorded and... <laughs> I'm not going to talk all through all of this. I've got these slides in so you can read through it and just follow the flow of what is the planning principle so they do. And they don't do it in isolation. They've got a number of smart people, including people from Stellenbosch University, supporting them. And it comes down to a 30-year integrated freight demand forecast. If you open that document and you just go to ports expansion, you've got Saldana, Cape Town, Durban, Reaches Bay, Kuga, uh, I always forget one or two of them. And you can see their 30-year expansion plans. So if you want to buy property, go read that document. And it's too late to buy Durban Airport because that's going to be the dig-out port. I'm sure most of you know that already. They bought out the airport to dig it out and make it a bit of a harbor. If you look at Richards Bay, the current uh, key length will increase from 3.1 kilometers to 10.9 something kilometers. I mean, that's huge. It's, it's really the numbers are just staggering. A systems approach. They've got their freight demand model, which we've spoken about. Then there's a transportation model. And now they start putting into the mix. Does it go by freight? Does it go by road? Does it go by, uh, sorry, by rail? Does it go by pipeline? Guess who's going to build the new gas pipeline? The question about fracking and natural gas and all of that is a bit of a moot point. It's all of the above. And we're going to get a gas pipeline. Whether it comes from Maputo or from Mossel Bay, I don't know. But there's going to be a gas pipeline. That, that's as sure as, as we are here tonight. And that needs to be integrated in the whole process. And then the market share model, freight by mode, rail, road rail pipeline, sustainability of freight. Who here does not believe that we need to move freight from the road to the rails? We, we all sold on it. How do you do it? Because there's a subset economy. You've got these truck owners, the fleet owners. They spend about what? Between 2 and 12 million rand a truck. They want to put them out of business overnight. Ain't going to happen. They tried that with the bus rapid transport in Joburg. They've been struggling for five years now to get the taxi owners to buy in and slowly but surely hand over a bit of the business. So it's a very complex, multifaceted challenge that we all have to address and help solve. It's not just making rail freight more reliably, cheaper and safe. It's also these other side elements that we often don't think of, the whole economy around it. ESCOM, the System Dynamics Group, they started doing modeling around water. Why? Because suddenly it did happen. One of the power stations used so much water in the new sulfur scrubbing process, the town ran out of water. So ESCOM has got to supply potable water to the town. It's not a power supply challenge only. It's a systems approach. Fortunately, I can say it many times because we're all believers, so uh, I'm not going to be challenged on that one. So what is the market demand strategy? It is a 307 billion, it started off in 2012, a 300 billion capital investment over a period of seven years. Last year was done, they budgeted 31 billion to be spent, they only spent by 5 billion, they spent 26 billion. And in the financial statement by Mr. Brian Mulefe in April this year, he announced it's a rolling, five, it's a rolling seven years. So it's 307 billion now, as of this year, going up for the number of years, and it will continue until they've met the, the market demand.
For example, they have calculated, and, and divide by 10, any of these numbers you see, I don't mind. It, it's the, the concept that we're proposing. Direct, indirect, and third tier indirect jobs. 288,000 to be created. And people who say we must create jobs are getting it wrong. And this can be recorded. We must grow the economy, and the jobs will be there. You create the job, and tomorrow it's gone, because it's not sustainable. Grow the economy, and the jobs will be there. And this is what this is targeting. A very senior person in the strategic division um, stood up the one day and he said, yes, we are 54,000 people now. In the MDS, we quote 75,000. It's not a target. We will have as many as we need. It's an expectation. We think we might need 70,000, but it's not a target. The target is getting the freight to the ports and to the final destination. 7.7 .7 billion rand to be spent on training. Guys, 7.7 .7 billion rand on training. This is only Transnet. The Praza tender that was awarded to the Gabella Consortium for 51 billion rand, which is tranche one of two identical tranches, is 600 trains, it's 3,600 coaches, in a period of eight years with an 18-year maintenance contract. That contract alone has got 780 million rand targeted over and above this for skills development. How hard is it to find a systems engineer you can appoint? Where's my CSIR buddies? That, that, that's a pet hobby of yours, right? We, we're going to build this, those trains here. There's going to be a new factory to build passenger coaches in South Africa in 24 months' time. 19,000 people need to be inducted in terms of rail operations. How are we going to do it? The money is there, guys. The money is there. The problem is how to achieve it. And we all have to put our minds together jointly. Um, container growth capacity, 71.2%. They were moving 18 to 21 containers. Shore to ship or ship to shore doesn't matter, really. They did a a global benchmarking and global best practice is 32 and labor signed up for 28 containers per hour. And I always complain, labor does, is anybody from labor here? It's okay. Um, and then they complain and they reach 26 and 27. And the one weekend when labor was on strike and only the volunteer laborers worked, they hit 29 without trying. So it can be done. All of these things can be done. They've got new equipment there. They've got the most wonderful rubber tire gantries and mobile cranes and if you, if you go look at the Durban Pier 1, Pier 2 expansions, they're pushing the ocean back a few meters to make the harbor deeper so you can bring big, bigger ships in, so you can take more containers out. That's the scale of operations we are talking about. Okay. Capacity constraints must be addressed. Performance. Operational performance is one of the top ten targets put there. I had a very, very interesting discussion with a, a fairly senior general manager of Transnet Freight Rail a couple of days ago. And uh, by making sure the lo locomotives are better prepared for the trips and better scheduling, they have, without replacing any new locomo any locomotive with a new one, they've reduced or increased, sorry, increased the capacity on the same sector from four to five trains in the same period of time so they can buy fewer new locomotives. So the CapEx plan needs to be adjusted. So now they get hit because they're not meeting their CapEx targets, 
but it's actually good news. Why buy more if you can do it better with operational efficiencies? So all of these are factors that sometimes work against each other, seemingly, and we need to balance that. Um, sorry, yes? It's worse in SAA, you know that, at the airports. It, it is, it's, not, it's not that big that it's one of the top ten priorities. And they sometimes classify it under safety. Okay. I'll, I'll get to you, Daniel. Uh, so, yes, it is being con uh, addressed. They've devised specific kinds of locks on the containers that's not tamper-approved, but it immediately sends you a signal if somebody breaks it. So those kinds of things are being implemented. Uh, GPS, the new NAVA system, better tracking of containers, making sure the container is put where it is supposed to be put, all of those things are being addressed. Daniel? Uh, just a comment. I think I may have seen or read somewhere, I don't know if it's true though, but that the, <coughs> the front environment in South Africa with regards to that is actually below the world average. It's not bad. It's really not bad. Okay, let me not say what I wanted to say. I'm being recorded. <laughs> we can have another discussion around this. It's, it, it's not an acute problem. Correct. It's actually better than the rest. Depends on, depends on your benchmark, of course. But, but yes, it's, it's not that serious that it's taking a serious dent in the whole operation. But certainly they've got a whole area of risk identification and risk mitigation, safety, security, all of those things are constantly on the list. And, and, and the target moves. As you block one hole, another one gets dug. You know, the illegal miners go and dig up another old mine. Supplier industries for all modes of transport. Look at this, all modes of transport. The state-owned companies have a mission from government to not only look at their own operations. By way of example, Transnet trains artisans and technicians. Uh, and I don't have the exact number, I believe it's about 20% in excess of their planned requirement. And they release them into the market with no obligation as part of their national contribution towards skills development. And, and, and. Um, okay, it's not on this specific list, but part of the supplier industries is the whole localization drive, of which the CSR plays a significant role in the, at the innovation hub setup that's been set up with transit engineering there. If you look at the new BEE codes, there are now five categories instead of seven. Black ownership has gone down from being the highest to about 15% of the total score. Total points are calculated out of 118, and ask me why 118, but enterprise development and skills development together make up 59% of the BEE requirements. And I can tell you now, if you have not seen it, I think it was in engineering news this week, 165 million rand initiative by Transnet towards enterprise development. To, make, to bring these guys with entrepreneurial skills, bright ideas, to help them productionize it, help them make sure the market is there, Grow that supplier so he or she, as an individual and or a SMME, can become a supplier into the transit and or other supply chains. So that, that's the next big wave that we need to address. Why do we need the market demand strategy? Of course, company growth. But the most important one is sustainable value. I mean, how many other freight logistics companies are there in this country that are at least 10% of transnet size? There are a number of big ones, but nobody in the size of a Transnet, and they've got the national 
mandate and role and responsibility. Um, how will it benefit South Africa? Once again, I'm not going to, to go into the details. It's for you for reading pleasure afterwards if you can't fall asleep. It will also help expand the mining and the resource processing to industries. The manganese guys told Transit, if you can more efficiently transport our manganese to either Kuha or PE, then we can open up a, a bigger export market globally. So once again, there's the whole cause and effect and the whole relationship that you've got to, to bear in mind. The coal line from Ermelo, they're putting up new training centers and all kinds of great things in Ermelo to make sure the coal line, the highest priority today, achieve the necessary attention. Things like that, you know, and it, it happens behind the scenes, really. We don't see a, a lot of it. We must be a credible supplier of iron ore to both the domestic and export markets. What is the longest train that ever ran on the Sishen Saldana route? Who knows? Sorry? 3.4 kilometers, not even warm. Sorry? No, no, you're way over. <laughs> It's four and a half kilometers rounded off. <laughs> <laughs> I studied at the military academy before they built the overpass. And when that train came to offload in Saldana, you had to take a detour with your car under the railway track and then carry on to this nice town here to come visit the girls. Um, so it's the longest and heaviest train to be operated in the world. Okay? Narrow gauge. We're all lovers of the standard gauge and cape gauge and that argument. Narrow gauge is better for heavier loads, not for speed. You can go standard gauge, but all your bridges, your tunnels, everything else has got an envelope, a little profile. You can't make your, your wagons bigger. You can't make your coaches bigger because you will knock the bridge out. Okay, so that once again, there's all kinds of things that you have to bear in mind. And, and I'm jumping around a little bit become an important thermal coal supplier for India and China. Target is to be the biggest coal supplier to India and to China. Because that alone, if you've got one large customer like that, you can run your business for 20 years. Okay? That, that kind of model. But then you must be reliable because you are now competing globally, not locally. You operate locally, but you're competing globally. And I can tell you the Australians in terms of Freight rail and mining is ahead of South Africa. They've got a mining operation where you've got two people manning the control room that is about six kilometers away from the mine. They had to build in on the, the big heavy load trucks. They had to build in a deviation on the GPS because the trucks were running the road to pieces so accurately it was controlled remotely. Okay? Don't create jobs. Create the industry. New jobs will follow. Um, okay, let's carry on. I, I love these kinds of, of numbers. Um, I worked for the Boeing company before, and I had a set of lovely slides. Every 10 seconds, this happened, and everywhere. So it's nice to have a South African company to say between now and 2019, Transit will spend 80,000 rand every minute the next seven years. Go and calculate how many business cases or project presentations or whatever it is you want to do, to call it, what that entails. Just the, the management of it, not even the execution yet. Where's your supply chain to absorb this? 
will hire six people every day, excluding turnover. That's new positions. Be the fourth largest supplier of coal to China on the way to becoming a primary supplier. I just love these numbers. Have its ports among the top 20 of the busiest ports in the world. You know, one thing you should, the younger people, there are quite a few in here. If somebody says we're in the top four companies of this thing, you must know they're number four. If we're in the top 11, they are number 11. Okay, so maybe this will change in due course to be amongst the top, 20, uh, the top 10. So let's hope it moves that direction. Load or unload 6.3 additional containers every minute. Of course, they don't unload partial containers. We all know how the math works. Deliver 57 more tons of both coal and iron ore every minute. You know, these guys, from a steel and cement business kind of thing in Polokwane, talk about 125 million tons per annum. That's the target, that, and that's the mission for the next financial year. Put 2.7 new locomotives in service every week. Same argument, you don't put 2.7 locomotives. Today, maybe some of the old ones is a 0.7 locomotive. And fourth, 4,000 rand in additional revenue every second. Yeah? Actually, I haven't done the calculation. Someone has to calculate it. Please calculate. Um, <laughs> calculate that for us and, and see if, if we get a positive outcome. I haven't done that calculation. <laughs> okay, thanks. I, I would guess it is. Yeah. Yeah. See, younger than me, I, that, those time class calculations I hired a mathematician to do. Um, other thing that's not on a slide here. What was the South African Airways bailout recently? Three and a half billion or something? It's about 13 billion now over the last five years, right? Since South African Airways was taken out of the transit operations, and e because they were subsidized, but the, the Spoornet and those operations have since the initial capitalization not received fiscus money. They are self-sustainable. They get investment, the open market, bonds, balance sheet, and that's how they do their business. Please take note. I think that's a, a wonderful example for a state-owned company. The TCSE vision. And you can see that we, of course, must have a vision. And I told you, I want you the marketing will sneak in here and there, but, but you must see where we're going. We want to address significant challenges. If it's an electric motor, it's recurringly breaking or something. It's not our challenge. It's not our problem. There are electricians and electrical engineers and control engineers that can take care of it. We want to look at those areas where it's complex, the wicked problems that, that you don't easily understand. Across techno-disciplinary and organizational boundaries, the one project we're busy finalizing, writing up the, the field work, is with Transit Freight Rail, looking at a one-man train driver or a one-person train driver. It's a train driver and assistant, has always been. The assistant may not drive the train. Did you know that? So the question is, do we really need an assistant? Besides making coffee and, and serving on pit is lunch and stuff. Okay? So it was a very, very interesting project. There's no engineer on that project. because It's not an engineering challenge. It takes you five minutes to figure out one person can drive a train. For how long? And now we start talking. It's an ergonomics, human factors problem. 
And that's where the systems thinking comes in. Everybody said, but if you make the locomotive more reliable and easier controls, that's the easy part. It's all the psychological and psychometric and emotional stuff that comes into the equation. Just by way of example, uh, the way we like to approach things. Um, oh, sorry. The important part is this bottom one. We not only have a mandate, we have a direct instruction to not only provide these services to Transnet, but also to take it to other state-owned companies who are willing to look at it, and in fact the industry in general. So Transnet is taking a very broad look at this and saying, you know what, yes, we want it for ourselves, but you know what, if the country can benefit, so much the better. So it's not an isolated thing. I'll get to the point where, yes, we are hosted by WITS, but like the aerospace center which I managed in the past, it's not a WITS-centric center. And we want to work with all of you. You guys have got capabilities and skills that we do not have up there. And we need to work together on that. And you will see that come out quite clearly. So we work with them and define the problems. We try and create human capacity in systems engineering, and that's where our discussions with Alwain really uh, started, I think, Alwain, is what level of education can we also bring to the table. And this fourth one is becoming the main contact point. Contact point. Not the point that does everything. And in fact, Professor Moss, who's my chair at this point in time, and I visited Stellenbosch University, UCT, and CPUT last week, two weeks ago, with the specific intention of expanding our collaboration and creating opportunities where we can get best practice and bring it to bear on the table. And I will show you my organizational structure on purpose, and we'll talk about it when you get there. So it is knowing where to go to find the solutions. It's not doing it all ourselves. That's the other important message I would like to, to share tonight. Oh, there we go. I forgot to add that picture. It's not Uncle Sam, that's Uncle Julius. <laughs> okay. The structure. This is our whole organization. This is 10 positions, masters and PhDs and postdocs. That's one person, one person, one person. All of these are done on a project basis. The train driver project, we are leading the project. We are doing certain specific ergonomic uh, human factor issues because my associate researcher is a master's in human factors and ergonomics. She did her master's in the UK, and she's busy doing a PhD in the Faculty of Engineering in the built environment with the School of Psychology of looking at those factors within a systems engineering context. The rest are all external contractors that we brought into this project and that we pay to help us make the project work. And that is the model that the center operates on. We, on purpose, did not try and structure a 100-person organization because of, you saw some of the transit operations. Today it might be a pipeline challenge, tomorrow it's a train driver, one in the day after it's a locomotive with regenerative braking. You can impossibly have all of the, the skills and capabilities within one organization. What is systems engineering or systems thinking? Why, why can I claim confidently that it's a well-recognized discipline. Alvin has seen this slide. Very simple. Because that exists. <laughs> okay? And if you still don't believe me, the globally recognized source of all knowledge today gives me the answer. So systems engineering is a well-recognized discipline. It's defined, it's structured, it exists. 
Who knows what, where the word Wikipedia comes from? Not for knowledge. You're on the right. It's, it's, it's a Hawaiian word for quick. So wiki wiki is quickly. So it's a quick reference. Just out of interest. It's not an exam question. Um, our preference, and Kubus, I'm not trying to go against the the the, the uh, CBOC or INCOS or anybody, but this one we we decided to use as our target up there, specifically because of the third part of Richton's definition. The elements or parts can include people, hardware, software, facilities, policies, and documents. Everything that makes a system work. It's not a project. A project is a small, tiny part of a systems approach. And you can challenge me on that. You're welcome. And it just happened that last year uh, I visited Johns Hopkins Systems Institute. They were established on 1st of April 2012. They beat me by six months. And when I, I showed them this, they said, you know what? That Richner book, Why Eagles Can't Swim, is one of their prescribed handbooks for, for their teaching that they use. And I, I chose this before I knew them. But yes, okay. And I think we're all aware there are about 100 odd definitions of it. And not one of them is wrong. It depends on how you want to apply your mind in terms of this system. Now I get to this part where it, it links slightly to my title. Where does system engineering fit into an organization? Is it the systems engineer or, or where does it fit in? And I was asked by Transnet to come to talk to the HR people about this, this concept. And I struggled because with technical people, it's easy. You, you throw a bunch of definitions and you put a few uh, mind maps on the board and everybody's totally confused and happy and we go away and we have a nice glass of wine. HR people, not so much. So we said, okay, would you agree that there needs to be an organizational approach around systems thinking? And not engineering. We, we, we find out every second week that the word engineering in systems engineering confuses people. They see an engineer. So then you've got your system engineering experts with a certain HNQF level of education and experience. Then you've got your systems engineering integrators, sometimes without realizing they are that. Your project managers, are they not the exact good example of systems engineering integrators? And most of the time they don't know it. But it's so important that they need to have that understanding. All other stuff, your procurement division, your HR division, they should be aware of this. And so we started looking at how, how do we want to train people. And yes, we've got all the wonderful masters and PhDs. But then we said, on an organizational level, there needs to be an appreciation. If you use these words loosely, what comes to mind? And uh, it goes about what your, your organization is about. Again, Boeing Company, I was in Seattle once, and a colleague, not myself personally, asked the tea lady, so what do you do? She says, I help build safe airplanes. Okay, that, that was a systems appreciation of what the company is about. Systems experts, now you start getting into the ACEPs and CSEPs and ESEPs and all kinds of acronyms you want to think of, and the people that know more and more about less, and I won't go on. Your project managers, a generic insight into systems engineering, systems thinking, applications, outcomes, tools. Because remember, your, your project managers are the guys that make the budget. Let's face it. They do the budget, and they go motivate the budget with management. 
As a systems engineer, you try and motivate, but if your project manager or program manager does not have a, an appreciation, you will not get anywhere. Up until late last year, the five operating divisions and Transnet Group, where Transnet Capital Projects it, had a kind of an understanding. All small projects, meaning less than 100 million rand a project, could be done by the operating divisions. Only the big projects, bigger than 100 million ago, was done by Transnet Capital Projects. It has since changed to get better controls in place. I mentioned the dig-out port. The, uh, the old Durban International Airport is becoming a harbor, a port. No system engineer on the project team. Can you believe it? Okay. They build a new coal line through Swaziland. I think there's one guy with a title system engineer on it. And we're busy working with them, making them understand there needs to be an appreciation of what a system engineer brings to the table. Doing it right the first time and all the things we, we really know. But we cannot talk technically to these people. Because what they say is, every systems engineer you bring on the job, it's a million rand a year additional cost to the project. Right? That's before the guy spends money on equipment or testing stuff. And that's, that's just the, the HR cost. So within the bigger organization, there needs to also be that appreciation that your procurement, your system is only as good as your procurement system is. Oh, and you're smiling. Am I touching a raw nerve? <laughs> so do I. I'll just close. The fifth procurement system makes me cry. Okay. And, and it's as simple as that. You can have the best laid plans of men will come to no fruition if you don't have the whole system in place supporting you. So then they said, okay, so what does this mean? We said, okay, let's take your levels. And they've got A to F or G or something levels, and we've got the Peromna scale and all of these horrible things that HR people dream up to make themselves happy. Basically, you've got executive, senior management, management, projects or operations, depending on your type of organization you have, and maintenance can fall in there, and then individuals in your company, wherever they are. So we said, okay, broad brush approach in terms of identifying when we talk about teaching, training, systems engineering knowledge and skills. For executives, you know they never have more time than half an hour unless, unless they've messed up and then they've got three days to fix it. You need to have some kind of an awareness, short course that captures their attention, that gets a message across powerfully, short period of time, that presses his KPIs. Okay? And, and let's be honest, if you don't link it to his KPIs, you're not going to get his attention. Principles of some of them wanted a bit of a deeper understanding that come from a technical background, so you can teach them a few of these principles. And in fact, he or she can apply it in daily management as well. It's not limited to projects or engineering stuff. And how to manage systems engineering, the, the broad concept. How do you deal with these guys? How do we deal with oaks like you? Because I'm not a system engineer anymore. I, I, can, I know the words, that's all. You guys are tough to deal with. You know, you come with all kinds of weird concepts and arguments that makes no sense. Because if I look at my profit and loss line, you're a cost. Unless I understand that doing it right first time is a, is a profit. Okay? Senior management, also awareness. But now you, you tailor your awareness of it. Because they are now closer to the rock face or closer to the tracks. And they must not derail. Okay? So they need a bit more knowledge. 
managing and integrating complexities of systems thinking, systems engineering, all of those things. They need to have that in their heads. To take a train from Ermelo to Richards Bay and have the ship there waiting for it with the right kind of ship, the right materials handling equipment, is an, a managing and integration exercise between different operating divisions, different profit and loss modes, different standards and procedures. Yes, Transnet is one company. You've got four different sets of books. Transnet Freight Rail reports on its own. Then it gets rolled up into Transnet. Transnet Engineering reports on its own. So you've got all these tensions in the system, and if you don't know how to manage and integrate it, you're going to come short. And I'm not giving the answers, I'm giving guidelines, is what I'm trying to do here. Management. Now we start getting into a toolbox. And we need to, as part of workforce planning, each organization, and we're having these discussions with Transnet, in your workforce plan, it's not long, uh, good enough anymore to say it is a person with this type of academic qualification, seven years of experience, and mentorship with this and that. You need to start defining a set of tools in his or her toolbox. And a system engineer in a pipeline environment and one in a locomotive environment will have the same basic requirements, but there are detailed differences. Okay? Because some of it, a pipeline gets designed and built how often? We've just completed the second one in 30 years. Okay, it almost sounds like Madupi and Kusile. Um, but locomotives, we are now entering this phase of building new locomotives. The first 100-odd GE43 locomotives have been built and is in operation. China South Rail locomotives are being evaluated right now at Kurisport and other places. They're going to be built locally. The Alstom Praza contract, the 3,600 coaches. You know, passenger train does not have a locomotive and coaches anymore. Who knew that? You must have used Gautrain. It's, it's self-propelled carriages. The motor is underneath the coach. The, the steering coach in front and the back are not motorized. All the other coaches are motorized. They carry the power electronics. That's where the space gets used up. It's a different thing. It's aluminum extrusions nowadays. It's not welded structures. What are we teaching in universities, technicons, FETs? Welding, right? What welding? Steel. Stainless steel if we're lucky, because we have a Columbus. So we, we need to get our mindsets around this, and that applies to all of these things as well. Where does design take place? We all want to be an OEM. Guess how much OEM work, either Boeing or Airbus, because I know both of them very well. Guess how much of the total design, detailed design, and manufacturing they actually do? Guess? Sorry? Percentage-wise. No, not zero, otherwise they'd be out of business. <laughs> 20 to 30 is a good guess, depending on your, your model of your supply chain. BAE, 2001, Boeing's logo was, our strength lies in wing design. And they realized, you know what, it's not true, because we get our wings from BAE Systems in the UK. They do a better wing design than we do. Boeing does the flow dynamics better, Airbus does the materials better, but then they get Mitsubishi heavy industries to do the real engineering work. That's the way to go nowadays. They are integrators, and they stand behind the product. So it's not so sexy to be an OEM. Think about it. 
project operations, and, and you get the concept. I'm not going to talk the detail here. Um, I think I'm holding you from wine. And then, of course, you guys know all of this, but we often get the questions, what is systems engineering? What, what tools, methodologies do we, do we apply? And you've got to show them, and you've got to tell them. And, of course, this also guides how you develop your training. What do you train people in? What do you want to achieve in terms of a systems approach from something? Is it optimization of an existing process, product, service? Is it new equipment or new whatever requirements analysis? Not everybody needs to understand requirements analysis. Maybe just optimization is good enough and how to model it. So be careful not to try and make everybody into a full-fledged systems engineer. Um, Owen, you did a specific study on that in terms of success rates and, 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 and we, will, we can talk on that later. Just to show, I do read your documentation as well. Um, Owen, compliments to you. I've copied and pasted yours. I didn't have enough slides, so I put three of yours up here out of your document. Now, honestly, I think what Owen is leading is a hugely important initiative in terms of systems engineering training workgroup of validating that systems engineering is a worthwhile discipline, career path, whatever you want to call it, to pursue. We are all sold on it. EXA does not acknowledge it per se. And I asked the question the other day, do they decline it? Whoever's you've got CPD points for tonight talking about systems engineering. So the seed is there. Okay, so let, let's try the whole full cup approach and say it's, it's not excluded. Maybe they just omitted at the time when they wrote the, the rules to put it in. If you go back to electronic engineering, it's nowadays electronic and information and whatever, it did not exist 80 years ago. You had mining and mechanical engineering. Then you started getting electrical motors in, and then electrical engineering came out of it. And then you got better control systems, and electronic engineering came out of it. Is the time not perhaps right to say, but systems engineering has now ever evoluted to such a period in time that our systems are so complex, you cannot do it anymore without a systems engineering deep understanding. And not reserve it for postgraduate. Bring it in an undergraduate. Am I running out of time? Oh. So, so we need to have a concerted effort in, in terms of getting that buy-in, that acceptance in it. Um, besides CSIR and a couple of the other, mainly military and some other related companies, where are there really career opportunities for systems engineers? And that's on purpose why I started with where Transnet, LTPF, and MDS comes from. I come from the military environment. We thought we were the hot shots in terms of spending a, a hundred billion a year in ten years. I mean, these guys are, are real money. This is big stuff. This is really touching the economy. It's not build a missile that you hope you never fire again. And I don't mean it negatively, please. What do we do in our center? We focus on research, long-term focused research, project-related. So if there's a, a long-term issue that's identified, then we can do research on those areas, and it can lead to masters and PhDs and that kind of thing. It must be focused, and, and what the goal we set ourselves, with, while Transnet is the main sponsor, we must link it back to the MDS or the LTPF. If there's no clear link, maybe we should reconsider and not sponsor it, not support it, maybe pass it on to somebody else, and project-related. Like this train driver thing, one or two areas came up that we did not have the knowledge we required, and then you do a quick and fast, thorough research project to obtain that kind of knowledge. 
projects, strategic and operational, the way the center is structured, our permanent staff are uh, in the budget. And each and every project that gets identified with an uh, operating division gets funded additionally. Very good reason why we did it that way. If you were to, to budget 200 million rand for projects, it will be eaten up like nothing. Okay? Everybody will have a priority. If you make the customer pay, he or she will think three times because they have to go back to their CapEx people and motivate why it happens. And it's, it's a first uh, filter that we build in. Training and education, and all of this is developing stuff, guys. I started in that center 1st of August 2012, so don't expect all the bells and whistles are there, and we burn our fingers and learn as we go along. Postgraduate, undergraduate, short courses, workshops, um, transit capital projects, we've developed a initial one day. We did the first pilot, and I came back and I said, you know what, we need two days to, to, get to understand this a little better. And it's really an awareness session only to make them aware of systems engineering so that they buy into all of these other qualifications. So you've got to sell before you can get them to buy into things. Advocacy, awareness, networking, marketing, symposia, EMEASEC. I still owe Renee an answer back about EMEASEC. Uh, we will be there in some form or fashion. Um, because we, we believe it's part of the, the message that we also have to carry out. And then I mentioned the BEE codes. We've been specifically approached now by two or different organizations, one of them obviously Transnet, to help them set up this kind of innovation incubation for SMMEs focusing on BE. Uh, and it's big money. It's, it's a significant percentage of the payroll that needs to go in there. The codes were published October last year, and October this year, the methodologies must be in place. Those are the timelines. Okay? And I need help. Bright ideas are welcomed. How do, we, how do we work this? Because you've got to start somewhere. We say training and education is our foundation. Okay? Go to any state-owned company, I think at one stage they all use the same consultants because they all use houses, so I also use house. Then we say there's a set of competencies that is enduring, long-term, and don't look at the specific titles. Some of them are relevant, some of them are just by way of example, that can be applied in a number of different technical challenges or opportunities. Like project management is a competency. Because whether you build a dam or a power station or a locomotive, you need, power, uh, you need project management. Agreed. So that's what we mean by competencies. Um, technology advancement. How do you upgrade your fleets as you go on over time? That's something you need over time. And then the execution side is we've got 10 identified thematic areas which we extracted through workshops with Transnet and all the operating divisions matching to the MDS, the 10 highest risks, the 10 targets that they are chasing, and things like operational efficiency is there, environmental issues are in there. So what you do is you go and engage with the operating divisions and say, okay, Transnet Port Terminals, you are talking to us about environment. What, what, what are you talking about? And it's like pulling teeth sometimes. And finally they come out, oh, green ports. Okay, so that's a huge step forward. So what does a green port mean? Now we want fuel cells. What do you want the fuel cells for? And, and, and so on it goes. And eventually we say to them, you know what? The world out there are spending billions on solar power. The world out there are spending billions on wind generation. If we put another 100 million in it, it's not going to make a difference. Really not. But you own eight ports 
where the ocean waves come in and go. We thought about using wave energy to power your port, and we're busy with an engagement with them on that kind of thing. So that's what we are trying to look at, and we are looking at a concept of a linear motor that was developed for the mining industry. So you can now take your wave energy, put it in a linear motor on dry land, not in the ocean, and generate power for that port. Bright idea, isn't it? And it's not going to cost 100 million rand. So we are looking for those kinds of winning advantages where you can look at what do they have? They've got the ocean. It's, they've got to stop the ocean. So it's energy being dissipated. So just before your dollars, so go put in some kind of a energy extractor and create your power, just by way of example. And of course, we get measured. And annually, we've got to say, what did we do? Did it make a positive difference or not? Um, and we are also looking at a continuous feeder stream of a new generation of system engineers. There are not enough young people around here. Undergraduate systems engineering offerings, and these are just a few thoughts I would like to leave with you that we can continue and have discussions about. This is the type of thing we spoke to Hannes Graber at UP about, to Stellenbosch, UCT, CPUT. There are some existing courses. We should look at developing new appropriate courses, so, and that's part of the whole curriculum uh, development idea. Perform project work where possible in systems engineering. We are doing that in, the, in our faculty now, where we're trying to get projects from Transnet, as huge as it is. And third and fourth year, projects and research projects. Get them on the real stuff. Because chances are you will get nothing useful out of it, but it doesn't matter. If it's a, a really pressing urgency, you run a real project somewhere else with professionals. But you are teaching these youngsters to think about systems engineering. To think about Maiden Wharf in Durban, where they bring the grain trains in, and the wagon is, is tilted longitudinally. There's a hole, and it drops the grain into an underground cavern. And the pollution is horrible. Afterwards, after it gets fed onto the conveyor belt and into the silos, they've got a team of about 30 people with brooms sweeping up and gas masks and cleaning up the place with 44-gallon drums full of chaff and things. So what can we do about it? I mean, there must be better solutions for that kind of thing. Um, CPD courses to also address other organizational levels, your technicians, artisans, and we all know about the pyramid of jobs. Um, engineers don't really work. We all know that. It's other people that do the work. Uh, I'm looking for trouble, I know. <laughs> um, investigating which other undergrad courses from other institutions, both South African and international, can be put into a comprehensive South African training curriculum. And things like joint degrees are not that uncommon anymore. There are a number of engineering areas where UP and WITS have got joint degrees. And as soon as you get to a 50-50 balance, the academics get all jittery and excited because it depends on who gets uh, referenced most and who gets the credits from the Department of Education. And, and so, so let's try and keep a clear model on how we do it. Um, and that's why I say this joint degrees opportunity. Why should we duplicate what UP is doing, or what Stellenbosch is doing here? Ongoing discussions to look at undergraduate institutions. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not an expert on this. EXA has got a requirement that in an engineer's four-year undergrad, five years or seven years, my, my, my luckiest three years were in my third year, um, they have got a requirement for a broadening course, right? So they teach all kinds of social skills and, and nice stuff. 
why don't we use that opportunity, Alwyn? And I was not aware of this when we last spoke. And see if we can leverage that and run it maybe for a trial period of three years or whatever and see what the outcome is. The, the, the mechanism is there. All we need to do is go and volunteer and say, here's something that universities can adapt to their specific needs and trial that at an undergrad level. Because surely a systems engineering broadening course will benefit any engineer in, in making, I think. Interesting, at WITS, three system dynamics courses are taught to first and second year biomedical engineering students. Because they get taught the doctor's way. You know, you're, you've got a pain here, so you drink a pill. You've got a pain there, you set the arm in plaster. You know about the guy that said, when I do this, I hurt. Do that, it hurts. And doctor said, your finger is broken. <laughs> okay? So, they are not taught that the body is a system normally. And these guys are busy doing that. And so if you treat a, a, a chronic illness or something, you must look at the whole body as a system and within the environment in which it operates. And I can tell you from the feedback I've got, I want to find those doctors where they practice after they've graduated because they will definitely have a better understanding. UCT with Wimfels there, um, I've got those courses, employ the, the V model system for engineering processes because it's an ESCOM funded chair, they use a power station as as the project subject, which doesn't matter. If it's a locomotive or a port terminal or a power station, the same principles apply. And that's all existing. Postgraduate, um, some of the universities have got it inside other degrees. Um, in our case specifically, you can now do a MEng in systems engineering, MSc in systems engineering, and of course a full research PhD in systems engineering. Some existing postgraduate courses, and some of them come from other institutions as well. You will see it's not a, a VITS thing. And now international benchmarking, we constant, consistently have to go back and see what, what are other people doing. And I found this out in this week during my preparations. Georgetown University with the Stevens Institute of Technology, and by the way, one of the new top senior guys was stolen from Johns Hopkins Systems Institute <laughs> last year. If you look at what they're doing, complex systems project manager, lead designer, technical director, senior analysis. That is leadership skills. That is, um, I can't read there. Who can read there? Expanded career opportunities, yes. Technical ability. So that's the way they prefer to, and then you've got your CEO, your chief technical officer, chief architect, and those guys. It's, a, it's maybe a much cleaner way of demonstrating than my ellipses that, that are integrated. But this is what they are teaching, and you can do a master's there in this. And it's interesting that they bring leadership skills and things like that into the equation as well. Um, INCOS 2006 already spoke about awareness, supervised practitioner, practitioner, expert, and it goes with your, your ACEP, ESEP, and those levels as well. So we're not really breaking new ground. We're just trying to carry the message in a way that people can understand better. Bookcase, you guys know it better than I do, most of you, but it is in there for uh, completeness sake. Body of knowledge and curriculum to advance systems engineering. We must definitely learn from other people's good efforts. Ah, okay, question time. Now this is, and you can find this in the slides, this is how we structure around our four circles of activity, which I've shown earlier, and awareness lies across all of it in advocacy. 
And we talk about different things. And you will see in enterprise development, you will start seeing business skills being brought into as well. Not just technical skills. Not only give the guy a 3D printer to make a prototype, also teach him how to analyze the market, how to do a proposal to get a winning bid in, and those kinds of things. Potential roles of partner HEIs in systems engineering. From our viewpoint, it, it's a collaborative effort from all South African participants. We dearly love to make you involved in projects as and when they uh, happen. Um, we've been approached by Transnet about a speciality in maritime engineering. Now, WITS is not ideally positioned to do anything good in maritime engineering. I think you would agree. So that's the basis of discussion with CPUT, Stellenbosch University, NMMU, and they're very keen to pursue those discussions. And that's the kind of approach we are taking. We're saying, here's an opportunity, and, and we'll fun funnel the money to you if and when we are successful in selling the whole concept. We don't mind it going out, because I'm not measured on profit and loss. I'm measured on contribution to Transnet. Okay. Supervision, mentorship, and guidance of undergrad bursary students. We spoke about those third and fourth year projects. Um, Postgraduate projects pertaining to graduate engineers in Transnet. Last year, Transnet had 420 odd undergrad engineering bursaries. WITS had 120 something. Stellenbosch had, I think, uh, 50 odd. I've got the numbers for the different universities. And they are around here. And, and we, we can leverage on those and get in touch with operating divisions because they are already day one when they are allocated the bursary, assigned to an operating division. And if there's VAC work or something, they go to that division. Um, additional courses, lecturing undergraduate and postgraduate courses. We don't have the staff to do all of it. You don't have it. So if there's a need to do some kind of uh, training in the Western Cape area, let's see how we can best do it. Let's not try and put everybody up to Houteng. I will gladly come down. I will be an, a guest lecturer over lunchtime because um, I can't teach anything else. Potential role, some of the benefits, basis of contracts with some financial support, full funding, bursaries, etc. And often when we structure a, pro a project, for example, optimization of Richard's Bayport Terminal, there's a chunk of modeling and simulation research that needs to be done. It doesn't exist today in terms of optimization. And we've got two masters and one PhD degree earmarked within that project that we will pay for, and so on and so forth. Um, joint postgraduate degrees uh, and THRIP. You know if an industry sponsors postgraduate research and at least 25% of that staff member is spent on masters or PhD research, you can get if it's a South African citizen, 150,000 rand back. Not small change. So you can get more money back than the, what the bursary cost you. Okay, I've said a lot of things. I'm not quite sure I answered my first question on the title, Kubus, but uh, at least only one person fell asleep. <laughs> and I'm not looking at him now. <laughs> No, it's a safety design. In Europe, they don't have it. No, you just can't hear it. No, there's, there's the squad. They've, they've got the technology. I mean, it's a small thing, but it makes a big difference. 
it's 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 harder to do on the cape gauge than on a on a wide gauge. Yeah, I kind of like the noise, but yes. It's not an easy question, two questions to answer, because you asked two questions. Dead rail, and I think I'm, I'm fair to, to, to say it in public, because of the business model that Spurnet slash Transnet. <laughs> no, that's no, okay. The business model they had was take it or leave it. I shall depart with my freight train when I feel it's full enough. Okay, is that a good business model? So what did they do? Get trucks. It was one of the big reasons. So now you've got less freight. So what happens? Your trains get disused. Your tracks are not used because you don't have your minimum volumes. Because remember, each piece of track that you operate on needs to be maintained. The signaling needs to be up to date and maintained. You need support maintenance people on standby the whole time if a locomotive breaks down. And, and, and. So it was a self-defeating business model, in my humble opinion. So they have now changed. They said, market demand model. How they now sell is, Mr. Mine, what, how, how much coal do you want to export this year and on what frequency? And they sign a service level agreement. Every Monday morning, and this is now hypothetical, I shall have a 125 wagon train with three locomotives in it that can carry X thousand of tons. Every Monday morning, 6 o'clock, it will be ready. We depart at 12. If it's not full, you still pay full price. So now you put some of the owners on the mine to say, you must sharpen your production and not keep me hostage and run an inefficient operation. Again, a systems approach. But now it goes beyond just the technical system. Now it shifts and labor strikes and all kinds of other things. How do we get them back on rail? Like we do anything that is slightly controversial, you do it one step at a time. You start providing a reliable, safe, affordable service, and you do it regularly, and then you brag about it, and then you can sell it, and then people will automatically move. I was totally against Gautrain. I thought it was going to be a metro rail type of operation. I use Gautrain at least four, four days a week, because the whole system is run smoothly, efficiently, clean, safe, all of those nice things. But it took them two years to convince me. I don't know if that makes sense to you or if you have other ideas. Two comments I would like to add to your comment, which is very valid. The one is go read the LTPF and look at the, the railway network. Now they're going to upgrade and modernize it, and it was, it's fascinating reading material because it deals with a number of those factors. So I'm going to make three comments. The other one is different voltages. Okay, now the new 
China South Rail locomotives are dual voltage. So now you don't have to shunt anymore and swap locomotives, which is hugely time-consuming and, and, and all kinds of things. And then the third one is there are additional ex external factors that's not factored into your comment there. For example, um, carbon footprint. If you have a station over here, you've got a cement factory over here, and they truck the produce. And you can show by building a track to join up to that track and then rail freight it. Then you will get external funding free of charge to build that track for you. So, and that will make a change, a difference in terms of which tracks, which tracks are reopened or not. And that element did not exist 15 years ago. So we must just also keep that in mind. I'm not going to talk about passengers because I'm fortunate I don't have to. Um, the I think I want to come back to the whole thing of it's not a transit operation. Transit is an operator, a freight rail operator or a pipeline or a freight logistics operator within the economy. So you need to get your, your ports, your ports authority, your mines, your marketing and salespeople all together and make it work. Because by just looking at your own operation, you are going to miss big issues. Uh, the same with passengers. Which of you, when you travel to Europe, actually hire a car when you go to Paris or München or London? You don't. It never crosses your mind because you'll be crazy to do so. We must get to that position. And it might be that we have a few loss leaders, like Houtrain. You know it's making a loss. But it's okay. It's, it's starting to create a culture. You've got the tough one coming. I can see that. I understand where you're coming from. It makes total sense. And if you look at the, the, the aviation, South African aviation and defense industry, it makes total sense. But the geographical spread of a transit operation do not allow you the luxury of that. You've got to upgrade the Saldana Sishen line now to meet your iron ore exports. That is a totally separate systems problem from your coal line running through Swaziland. You cannot prioritize one above the other. And MDS is already a prioritization. So yes, there are, all of it in MDS is important, but the thing scheduled for year five and six is not as critical now as upgrading the, the Saldana Sishen one. So they've, they, in, in their discussions, they've evaluated that bang for the buck because they've got to pay off the debt to get more money and, and, and all of that. Yes. It's The culture costs. Culture, yes. 
that's the other part of his comment that I did not address, and you're absolutely right. The challenge is not necessarily to find the technical solution. It's to turn the minds of your people around. The new container management system, they said it's unsafe for a guy with a clipboard to sit at the gate at Pier 1 in Durban and make a note of the truck's registration number and the container on top, and then walk to the guardhouse and feed it into a system. That's all visual recognition and all that stuff. They're still complaining about it because they see potential job losses. And the whole people management style, Maiden Wolf implemented the exact same system. There are 86 people working there. Their manager took them on this journey and explained to them why and what the benefits are going to be. And you're not going to lose your job. Paul, I'm going to retrain you to do this kind of thing. And you know what? You don't have to sit in the rain and the sun and the dust and the diesel fumes anymore. I'll give you a safe, clean working environment and I won't cut your salary. And you've got to do things like that. I, I told my wife okay. to get a gift bag big enough for a slightly larger than A5 book. <laughs> now she addressed the requirement. <laughs> slightly. Gorbis, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everybody, for the opportunity listening to me. And if there's anything, please follow up. It's not empty promises that we want to collaborate with all of you. It is really our stated intent. So thank you for, for the opportunity. <laughs>